Again, thanks for joining us this morning, and if this is your first time joining us, we hope that this will be the first of many times uh, coming out and uh, celebrating with us what God can do in your lives. Uh, Make a shout out to those uh, listening on SoundCloud. Uh, The service is taped for that, so that's fantastic. And then later on, I think we'll be, when we're live streaming, we'll have some other folks uh, joining us. Uh, shout out to Tom. Uh, he doesn't can't make it down here for some health reasons, but it was great to hear that every Sunday he likes to go up and be with his family, and they sit in front of the TV in the living room and join us that way, and so that's just, just awesome to hear about that. Today we're continuing on with our series, All In, Where to Look Before You Leap, and we're talking about that, and we're talking about how uh, that Palm Sunday takes a place, takes part, or connects us uh, with those ideas. You know, many of us want to give ourselves to something that's bigger and larger to our, than ourselves. We want to give ourselves without reserve. Maybe it's to a person, maybe it's a, a movement, whatever it may be. And uh, we have this desire in our lives. And when it comes to faith and when it comes to walking with God and discovering who it is, there is no better place to be all in and to jump in. Now, Jesus' friends, his disciples, uh, were all in until they weren't. Uh, they went through this process where uh, they had this, this desire to be all in, but as you watch their lives unfold, you see it uh, taking time, and that should give us hope that when you and I really want to be all in, it means that it's a process, and it's really a lifetime process of learning how to look before you leap. And hopefully we get better at that as we grow and we walk with Christ. Um, So today uh, we continue to look at uh, Jesus' disciples. We're not really sure who these two are that we're going to be looking at when they come into into Jerusalem and are getting ready to do that. And what's really important, though, as we think of Palm Sunday, is we think about the entrance And usually when we see someone of significance or making a statement or making an announcement, their entrance is is choreographed. It is is just so important that it's done just right. We see that at weddings. Uh, We see that uh, uh, when the president uh, is getting off the plane or getting on the plane or or whatever, all these things are just done just right to, to get a wow experience. And so when I think of that kind of a thing, I think of this. Doesn't that make you want to keep watching that? Or am I just so old? I think that's so cool. I love it that Sean Connery's King Arthur. I don't like the way the rest of the movie kind of unfolds because King Arthur doesn't make it. But anyway, that's you've got to watch it. But just that whole pageantry, the entrance was significantly important. And we see that when it comes to Jesus entering Jerusalem, All of that is really important. There's a lot of meaning. It's not just a historical event. It actually has application and meaning for us. 
And I can only imagine being the two guys, the two disciples that are tasked with starting to get things into motion and getting those, uh, getting the donkey. And you'll know that in some accounts, you see it's getting two donkeys, in some accounts it's getting one. The idea is that it was one donkey that had never been ridden on. Uh, there's an idea that probably the mother donkey was along for the ride to keep uh, the colt that had never been ridden on settled down and calm, but that, that's for later. But as you think about those two disciples, I love how the skit guys come up with what might have happened. This is a no-brainer. We do exactly what Jesus said. We go into town, we find the donkey with its colt. I just don't understand it. why Jesus wants us to commit a crime. He wants us to steal a donkey. No, no. Not steal, borrow. Oh, so we're just supposed to stroll into town, untie the donkey, and... And say exactly what he said to say. What is it? Oh, that the Lord has need of it? Yes, and we'll return it. What does that even mean, the Lord has need of it? It's self-explanatory. Why are you being so, so... So, so, so me? Because you all know that I'm the rule follower of the bunch. I just don't know why Jesus just didn't ask Peter to do this. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. This is so up Peter's alley. Steal the donkey, cause an uproar, that's his thing. Peter is the reason why banks chain their pens. Oh, I just don't want to go to jail. You know I hate one-ply toilet paper. I... Lower your voice. Look, we're just going to do what Jesus says. What's the worst that can happen? Oh, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? I don't know, a cracked rib, a busted lip, the kind of name-calling that'll put you in therapy years down the road? Stop it! Stop whining! Stop talking! Stop everything! Stop freaking out! Um, I, I, I don't mean to be judgy here, but someone needs to get the log out of their own eye. You have trust issues. Serious trust issues. You even know how many germs are in a jail cell, do you? No, 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 I don't. I don't. I'm sure it's a whole lot, okay? I don't know. And I don't know why Jesus wants us to get a donkey, and I don't know why people are gathering branches over here and lining the streets, but it just seems like there's something big is about to happen. Wait a minute. Yeah. Go back. Why did you say I had trust issues? Okay. Okay, let's make it about you. What? Think about it. Since we've been following him, we've seen him give sight to the blind. He's healed people with leprosy. He's raised people from the dead. From the dead? I can't even raise you from a nap. Hey, I think we can trust him with this donkey issue. That just did. I have trust issues. I see how Jesus trusts the Father. He trusts so much, even more than the ground that I'm standing on. To trust someone like that, I, I, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. But if you're going to trust someone, that's him, right? Oh. Okay, all right, let's do it. We got this. Hi. You first. Baby steps. Hey, when we get there and we grab said donkey, maybe I really should leave like a Benjamin. No. A 20 spot? No. A thank you card. Stop it. All right, I'll trust him. All right, I'll trust him. 
Isn't that the process of becoming all in? That is that initial moment where we place our trust in Christ for our relationship with God, what he did this week, almost 2,000 years ago, place our trust in that, death, burial, resurrection. But it doesn't stop there. We continually go through that cycle of trusting him. And what's amazing is those disciples saw all this stuff happen, all these miracles, yet that trust had to be continually revisited and built up and built up and built up. Those uh, disciples were just like us. So when we think of being all in, it starts with that initial yes to Jesus. And as we saw, I think it was week one or week two, uh, a lifetime of yeses to Jesus. And as we navigate that way, things come into focus, and then we can have more and more confidence of where to look when it's time to leap. Let's see how Mark describes it. And again, earlier I said there was a couple different accounts of this event. And uh, when you read them, sometimes you go, wow, this doesn't match up. You've got to remember that the personality of the writer, the one who's taking these God-inspired journal entries, looks at things just a little bit different than the other person. That doesn't mean they conflict. They notice different things. It's just like to yesterday, if you had gone shopping, uh, maybe with your wife or your husband, and when you got home, described the shopping event, you'd probably hear a little bit of a different story. The things they noticed, the things you noticed. It's not that those two stories are inaccurate. It's just people notice different things. And again, the idea of that second donkey was probably there because of going on that deep uh, ravines coming up into the valley and all those kinds of things with people on the sides of the road uh, shaking palm branches for an for a unridden donkey that would have freaked him out. So there's the idea that that's why mom came alongside that. But in this account, uh, Mark is just focusing in on the one. So let's begin uh, chapter 11 of Mark, uh, verses 1 through 3. We'll work our way down. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethsage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there. No one has ever ridden it. Untie it and bring it here. Great. Jesus anticipates what they're going to say. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back shortly. They went on, or they went, and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing, untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus Entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. 
He looked around and looked at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, down to verse 15, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow any of them to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And, he, and as he taught them, he said, it is, not, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it into a den of robbers. Three times a year, Israelites, Jewish folks, would gather at Jerusalem. It's thought that Jerusalem went from 50,000 to 250,000, at least for the Passover. If you remember, the Passover is celebrating when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt and the death angel came in. And they were commanded to put a little blood over the doorframe of each house. And in that way, the death angel would pass them over. So the imagery here is very powerful. They're celebrating Passover. We're moving in and we're seeing that Jesus is the Passover lamb without blemish. Now, as we read these events, we read these historical events, there are definitely some takeaways for us. Before we get going a little too farther, this is a little map here. Uh, Bethany was about two miles from the temple. Uh, So when they come down through to the Garden of Gethsemane, you see a little road there, and then they get to the temple. Jesus gets there uh, the first night, checks things out, looks things over, and then decides he ought to go back. So they hike uh, the two miles back. I don't know about you, and this may sound terrible, but whenever I go to a campground, I always want the bathroom close by. And going back and forth and back and forth, you try to time all your trips. Like if you need to do something, and you just don't like want to go a tenth of a mile out of your way. So it's interesting, two miles in, then two miles back, and then two miles in the next day. Uh, so that's just, just the way things were. So when you and I are thinking about the story of the triumphal entry, that's the theological expression of that, Palm Sunday... Uh, and we look what the applications are for you if you and I are going to be all in, the first thing we need to realize is that Jesus knows what he is doing. Now, on paper, all of us would probably go, yeah, I think Jesus knows what he's doing. But as you can see with the disciples, I'm sure there was tension in the air of going to get this donkey and just take it. It'd be like you having your car in your driveway with the keys in it, and someone walks up the driveway and starts to get into your car. And you'd be like, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, the person says, the Lord needs it. We'll bring it back with a full tank of gas shortly. You would would have some issues with that. Now, it's interesting, there's a little bit of debate whether this was just a, a total miracle and this person just realized that these were disciples or, or whatever, or Jesus had gone through and made arrangements again, because later on we see that the room prepared is known. So uh, don't get hang, hung up on that. Um, I always don't like to put God in a box, uh, but uh, as you see this unfolding, you can uh, you know, think about those ideas and how that all connects. So again, he knows, he goes to the village, uh, ahead, and just as you enter it, you'll find a coat. He, Colt, he uh, goes and does that. 
And so when we think about our lives and we think about God leading in our lives, we think about him leading us in a direction. Uh, Maybe you and I have uh, uh, been uh, studying God's word and we've been getting to know Jesus and his heartbeat and how he wants us to act and what he wants us to do, how he wants us to align our lives and live our lives. And then we get to these moments, don't we? We get to these moments where that idea, that concept, it's like the rubber meeting the road. It is now time to say, do I really buy into that? How many times do we know these stories abstractly? We know a situation like, oh yeah, I can see it on paper, but then it comes to taking that step. And we need to understand that God does know what he's doing in our life. Israelites, captivity, Jeremiah writes this to them as they're in this captivity for, uh, I think it was like 70 years, and they're getting impatient with this, and Jeremiah writes this, I know what I'm doing, referring to God, I have it all planned out, plans to take care of you, not to abandon you, plans to give you hope, the future you, or give you the future you hoped for. So in all of this, I think we can apply this to us. It's a different scenario. We can apply the fact that God knows what he's doing. Jesus knows what he's doing. And he has plans to give us a hope for the future ahead of us. And as we're coming into Holy Week, as Sue mentioned this, we know the rest of the story. Uh, When we gather on Good Friday night, I will be video streaming that, but when we gather on Good Friday night and celebrate communion and remember what Jesus has gone through uh, Thursday night into Friday, uh, we have to remember those disciples didn't know what was coming next. We celebrate it or remember it and have this little bit of tension because it's hard to be somber that we know Sunday's coming. We usually play that video that talks about Sunday coming. But again, when we pull this back, when we ratchet it back and apply it to our lives, we have to settle in the truth that Jesus knows what he's doing. And with this story, with this situation, Jesus was actually uh, fulfilling prophecy. So there's a lot of things going on here. In uh, Zechariah, we read, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your kingdom comes, your king comes to you riding. Excuse me, if I'm really reading this well. See, your king comes to, your right, to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so this is a prophecy from hundreds of years before, and this just kind of all kind of starts coming together. And the people of that day, uh, the scribes, would have known these things. These images would have been in uh, their minds. So as we think about Palm Sunday and think about the disciples, these two having to go get that colt, uh, we can see that Jesus knew what he was doing in their lives, and Jesus knows what he's doing in our lives. Uh, another, another takeaway is Jesus wants to use your life. He wants to use your life. We saw this earlier on when we were talking about Peter, Peter uh, using his boat, using who he is. But Jesus wants to use our lives. Uh, he wants to use who we are and what we're, what we're all about. And it's interesting that Jesus says here, uh, or says to say, the Lord needs it. And for some of us who have uh, done a little more reading on subject of who God is, we realize that God actually doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need anything. It's called the sufficiency of God, that he actually doesn't need anything from us. He, he's, he's 
able to function and, and doesn't need anything from us. So, so what is going on here is that uh, Jesus wants to include us. So this is somebody who has a donkey, and Jesus is including this person. He's including the disciples, and he includes you and I today. It'd be much quicker, much faster if he just kind of took care of things on his own, but he gives us the pleasure of being included in what we're doing. I remember when the girls were little and would like to do things, and there were times where at first I would say, now nah, I'll just take care of it. And the reason I did that is because I just wanted to take care of it. I didn't want to take you know, an hour to do something I could get done in a half an hour, sometimes something I could get done in 15 minutes. But then there was this understanding that I needed to use them and give them the joy of hanging out with dad. So whether it was, uh, I can remember they actually didn't use the lawnmower, but uh, the two older girls, I don't know, three, four, they had those little push lawnmowers, you know, they had the little popping thing, and they both had their own, and poor Mariah didn't have one. But I'd be out there mowing, and they would be following me. It's too bad we didn't video this, but they'd be following me right behind, you know, following my tracks, you know, in theory, helping dad mow the lawn. And obviously, they weren't helping dad. I had to make sure that, uh, you know, nothing kicked back on them and all those kinds of things. But I enjoyed having them be included in me mowing the lawn, if you will. And God loves to give us the pleasure of involved, being involved with what he's doing. Uh, sometimes you and I, uh, you know, bristle at that. But actually, when you and I find our lives being used by him, it brings a delight and a satisfaction. Sometimes we look at our lives and go, what is going on with my life? Why am I not satisfied? Uh, all these things that I thought if I could have in place a part of my life, then I would kind of like, ah, this is great, but there's still a restlessness. Sometimes that's because you are not joining in what God would have you do. Love this verse. I use it every once in a while when I'm thinking about this, but this subject doesn't go away. Uh, I would ask you if you're feeling restless with God in your life, you need to ask, where does my life need to intersect with what he wants for me to do? Where is he asking me to join what he's doing? Make a careful exploration, exploration of who you are and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can do with your life. Way back in South Portland, Maine, we had Awana, and we had uh, Leon Olds was an Awana worker, and he also liked to fly planes. And so he was retired, but he worked a little bit on the side, and what he would do is he would save his money, and when he got enough money, he would rent a plane, like a two-seater, three-seater, however they are. I never did this, but uh, he would rent this, and then he would ask some of the Iwana boys to go with him, or their parents could go with him. And he loved flying, he loved doing that, but he used who he was to do that, it was kind of funny. He would give every person going flying with him the first tape time a videotape. Remember those uh, VCR cassettes? And it was a simplified how to land the plane. Because Leon was always very conscious that he was getting a little old and wondered if he ever would have a heart attack and with these kids in the plane. He wanted to make sure they learned how to land it. And that would have been enough for me to say, I don't think I'm going flying with you, Leon. But kids love to go flying with him. They'd watch that videotape. Parents would let their kids go or go with him, and they'd go off and do that. So he's using who he is. 
And uh, that's, just, that's just a wonderful thing. Many of us have seen this before, but I think it's valid to, to repeat it, this idea of what our shape is. I'm just going to fly through these. There's a reference to the book that comes out of uh, from Rick Warren. I would encourage you, every once in a while, review what you think your shape is, because it does change a little bit. Probably two or three times a week, I have a list of things that I think God's done in my life and who I am. It's probably up to like four pages now, and I come across this one section where it describes what I think my shape is, and then I stop and ask myself, am I doing these things? Am I honoring the way God has shaped me with with the way I live? Am I doing things outside of who I am? And sometimes we have to do those things. But am am I living out my shape? And sometimes I find out that some of the frustration, a frustrating week is because I've lived most of the week outside of my shape. So these are very practical things to think about. First one is spiritual gifts. If you've said yes to Jesus, God gives you something through the Holy Spirit to, to do, to strengthen the local assembly of Christ followers. We call that the church. Sometimes we confuse the word church with building, but really it's a group of people, not a building. So we use that spiritual gift. Uh, we don't need to agonize over trying to figure out what it is. It's good to maybe think about it, but then it's good to just get out there and you will discover how God wants to use you. You're going to try something and it's not going to be great. That's not for me. Or you're going to try something that you didn't think was going to be great, and it is great for you. It's an experiment, and it's actually fun to discover how God has shaped you. Uh, Another one is your heart. What do I have a passion for? Leon had a passion for flying, and he would see save up, do this, and he would take these kids and just invest in their lives. And it must have been probably 10 or 15 years that he would do this. And he had a passion for that. He looked at who he was and just welcomed others to join him in that. Um, And uh, so thinking about what you're passionate about. Some of you like to fish. Some of you like to do this. Some of you like to do that. Use that. Leverage that. Leverage your passion to touch another person's life. And then obviously there's the abilities. What natural abilities do you have? You never want to ask me to help fix your car. You never want to do that. You never, never, ever want to do that. Now, there are other people around here you could say, help fix my car, because they have abilities for that. I might be able to help you with something electronic, with your iPad or whatever, but, but cars, no, don't ever ask me to do that. Not even your bicycles. I ride them, but I don't know how to fix them. I have to take the, to the shop even when I get a flat tire. I know that's terrible, but that's my ability. So uh, personality, each of us has a distinct personality. How are you wired? What do you like? What do you do? Uh, how, how, does it, how, does, how does it just overflow into the things you're at? Some of us are, are like one-on-one people. Some of us are like group people, all kinds of different personalities. Again, uh, you can read through this in Purpose Driven uh, Life. I think we have it in the library, a couple copies. Of it. We even have an a audio of it. And then your experiences, your triumphs, your failures, your heartaches. Amazing that God will use our heartaches, our failures, to touch somebody else's life, to, to join him. Sometimes we think of our triumphs. We want to celebrate those and look what I can do. Wow. You know, but it's also our heartaches and also our failures. 
You see, just like that donkey, Jesus shaped us to carry him into the places you live, work, and play. You're a donkey for Jesus. Oh, that may not sound too good. (laughs) But you're shaped to carry Jesus into all the places you go. And isn't that so awesome? You don't have to work hard at it. It's natural. When we lived in in Maine, uh, L.O. Bean, the mothership, big store, was like 20 minutes away, and and, uh, I would like to go up to L.O. Bean every once in a while, and I made sure I never went up to L.O. Bean without a car full of kids. I was a youth pastor at the time. Uh, Why waste the trip? The kids just wanted to go anywhere. L.O. Bean, yeah, let's go, let's go. And because L.O. Bean was open 24-7, you could go any weird times, and sometimes we'd go at a weird time, which made it even more cool to the kids. And I needed to go pick up this, and we'd go up there, we'd stop, look at the camping gear, look at all the stuff, and, you know, and back we would go. And, and just, it was a normal thing. I, I didn't have to add anything to my schedule. Yeah, it might have taken me a little bit longer to get the kids, drop the kids off, you know, kind of herd them as we were going through uh, L.O. Bean, but it was just something I could do. I could take who I am to carry Jesus into their lives. Also, we see from these two disciples, uh, Jesus should be followed even when you don't get it. Even when you don't get it. The whole story just doesn't seem to to jive. What? We're going to go just take this donkey, take two donkeys, um, we're just going to untie them. Uh, We're not going to get in trouble for that. This is like the people's car, their livelihood. And and then we're just going to say the Lord needs it and we'll bring it back and that will solve it. But that that was it. Those of us who have followed Christ for just a little while probably can come up with some stories where Jesus has led us to do something, led us to take one step and we didn't know where that second step would be. And we've taken it. And then the second step, and the third step, and all of a sudden we're, we're at a place that we never expected to be. Or sometimes we take those steps and it never seems to kind of solidify, but that's okay. Jesus should be followed even when we don't get it. Earlier, I mentioned about having a spiritual gift. We also have the Spirit, one of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Next week, when we have our baptisms, I'll baptize in, you know, in the Father and in the, whole, in, yeah, I'll baptize in the, Son, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'm, I'm identifying the fact that there's one God in three persons. Yes, I can't figure that out. I can't logically say how that all fits together. I would say it would be easier for me to believe in three gods that got along, but that's not what the scriptures say. It says one God and three persons. So I take that by faith. I don't get it, but that's okay. But what's wonderful is when you and I have said yes to Jesus, we have God in our lives. The Holy Spirit is in our lives. He's a part of our life. I love reminding myself and the people uh, that I'm meeting with occasionally when we're having a little, uh, some hard things to wrestle with. I like to say, thank you, Jesus, that it's just not the three of us or the five of us. There's one other person at this table, and he's actually in all of us. He's here with us, and we can enjoy the fact that he's with us. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, People who do not have God's Spirit do not accept the things that come from the Spirit. They think the things are foolish. 
They cannot understand them because they only can be understood with the Spirit's help. If you have said yes to Christ, the Holy Spirit's a part of your life. Remember my aunt telling me this story. It's the first time I kind of tried to grapple with it. My aunt, when she was in uh, college at the University of Maryland, uh, talked about one of her roommates being like super, super smart. And my aunt Pat just uh, felt always inferior with, with this roommate until they took their literacy class. And one of the components of their literacy class was the Bible. And they would study parables and study these things. And and uh, her, her roommate just had a hard time figuring out what this stuff meant. And my Aunt Pat, it clicked with her. And then one day it dawned on her that her roommate had not said yes to Christ. So as her roommate was looking at Scripture, she was not seeing it with the help of the Holy Spirit. And when she was looking at Scripture, she's seeing it with the illumination, the lighting it up uh, of the Holy Spirit. It changed everything. If you've said yes to Christ, you have the Spirit in your life. That's one of the benefits of saying yes to Christ, that you're not alone. He is with you all the time. So that involves the idea of going without knowing. And uh, we could take a look at Abraham, who is an example of this. You look at the story of Abraham. He moved through. He went to a place he didn't know. He responded to God's leading in his life. What a gift. You don't have to figure everything out. I'm not talking about blind faith where, you, where, where it just doesn't make sense. If you look at all these things, even in our little skit, uh, what did one of the disciples say? He said, we've seen Jesus do this, 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 this. We can trust him. Can't we trust him with this? Absolutely. Absolutely. So going without knowing. Also, we see that Jesus is deserving of submission. Those are words. Those are concepts that uh, uh, most of us really don't like, especially in our society. We shouldn't submit to anything. But Jesus is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. We can Submit to him. Sometimes we're called to submit to him. When they called out Hosanna, I said earlier, Hosanna is often uh, thought of as a declaration of praise, but similar to hallelujah, but it's actually a plea for salvation. They are pleading for salvation. This is why it seemed a little revolutionary, because what they were really thinking is they were pleading for salvation from the Romans. A hundred years earlier, I think in the War of the Maccabees, they had won, and they had claimed this idea, save us, and they were saying those same things. This was, this was almost a political rally in some people's minds. The same way you saved us from the Maccabees, now save us from the Romans. But those of us with 2020 vision now see that the pleas really should have been, save us from ourselves, save us from our sins. And they actually get into that idea of save us from our sins. So um, there's this idea of them putting all these, you know, blankets down and palm trees. And, and you know, so we think about submission and we think about uh, deser- him deserving that submission. And the, and the question I have to regularly ask myself is, where am I not submitting to God? Where am I holding out? Where is there a piece of my life that I've tucked in this drawer over here? And I'm saying, Lord, I'll submit to these things, but this drawer we're not going to. We're not going to. Maybe it's an attitude. Last week we talked about jumping to conclusions. 
I sometimes have to say, God, help me not to jump conclusions. That can't be, that can't be my drawer. Sometimes I think I'm a little clever. I have a little bit of discernment. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not true. But I can't not let that be submitted to God's lordship in my life. I have to let him in that drawer. All of us have areas. They might be big drawers, might be little drawers, because none of us, even those of us who have said yes to Christ, have arrived. We're still in this process. We're learning how to be all in and where to look. So I'd encourage you this week as you think about Palm Sunday, as you think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the people saying, you know, you're the one that's going to save us. We are in awe of you. What areas of life do you need to say, Jesus, you've saved me from my sins, so I have a relationship with you, but you need to help save me from this addiction, from this kind of thinking, from this, sometimes this nastiness, this unkindness. I need to, in a sense, let you in. I need to let you be a part of that. Again, save us, we pray, O Lord. Now, Lots of reasons why to submit to him, especially as we're thinking about Easter week. But I love the way Paul, to the church at Philippi, sums this up. This is what he says. Jesus had equal status with God, God the Father, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and then died a selfless, obedient death. And the worst kind of a death at that, a crucifixion, because of that obedience, God lifted him high and honored him far beyond anyone or anything ever. And then Paul gives a therefore. So because of this, because of what Jesus, the Son of God, has done for you, done for the world. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. If you don't say yes to Jesus now, someday your knee will still bow. That may seem a little rude of me to say, but that's what Paul says. We can't fathom completely who God is, who God the Father is, who God the Son is, and God the Holy Spirit is. But there will be a time where Christ comes and sets everything right, and everyone Will, will submit. It will, it, would, it will almost be like an automatic thing. You just can't stand in the presence of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. And again, we don't get that, but we will all take a knee. So why not get practiced at it now? Why not learn how to submit to him now? 
So it won't be, in a sense, quite as shocked to us. We'll already be in the habit of submitting because he's been our Lord and Savior from now to that moment. Also, we see that Jesus sees everything. A few weeks ago in staff meetings and then also a deacon's leadership meeting, I brought this passage to, to everyone's mind because I was reading through it a few weeks ago. And uh, it just kind of struck me. Uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem and went to the court, temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Comes in late, checks things out, observes things. And then the next day he comes back and he realizes that the way they're functioning as a temple, as a church, is just totally wrong. They're missing it totally. And in this case, he flips over tables, all kinds of crazy things going on. He says, it is, not, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. What does that mean? House of prayer. I think it's so much more than praying. It's, it's communion. It's being with God, enjoying his presence. Communion is a conversation, a two-way conversation. So when we think of an assembled group of believers in a local church, we're to be a place where we are connected with God, in communion with God, and for all nations. That reminds me that it's beyond just these four walls. It's the Figure Lakes area. It's New York. It's the U.S. It goes beyond and beyond and beyond, and that's why we support uh, Difference Maker Partners around the world. And so Jesus sees all that. He sees it clearly. Anyone who had been there the day before, I'm guessing, this is guessing, when they saw everything going on in the temple, didn't see what Jesus saw. They just saw this is the way we do church. This is the way we do temple. Most didn't see that. But Jesus sees that. So this kind of shakes me to my core a little bit. Jesus sees the way we do church. Jesus sees the way I pastor. He sees the way I can make it go my way or somebody else's way. He sees when I'm serving myself or serving others. He sees all of that. He sees that. He knows that. In the book of Revelation, we, we see him speaking to this. Um, in chapters 3 to 4, we're not going to obviously look at all of them. We see he sees everything. He says, I see what you've done, your hard work. That's great. Your refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil, that you weed out apostolic pretenders. I know your persistence, your courage in my cause, that you never wear out, but... Da, 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 da. And I stopped by not putting that in there because I don't want us to say, oh, no, I don't do that. I don't do that. We do something. And it's not to bring you down, but it's Christ sees what we are doing. Comes in in the evening, gets there, looks around. Oh, my, what would Jesus do if he showed up tonight around 7 o'clock in my house? Just kind of comes in and looks around. Comes back the next day. But he turned some tables over. What would he do? I don't know. Would I be embarrassed? I don't want to be embarrassed. I want to be responding to him. Not all the things, but there's a few things in chapters 2 and 3. Lost first love, suffering, that's a, that's a good thing. Uh, paying the price. Uh, needed to repent. Fallen asleep. Endured penalty. Lukewarm faith, whatever it may be. Uh, 
I would challenge you to just look at those and maybe you need to circle one of those. Maybe it's I'm not, I'm just not picking any per se. I'm just showing you what to do. But read through those and say, does any of this apply to me? If Jesus came into my life the way he came into that temple that evening, what would he see? And the next day, what would he come back to do? What would he come back to do? Only you and only God knows. As we're going into this week of Holy Week, a week separated to think about who Christ is, what he's done, our bottom line is this. If Jesus isn't Lord of all, he won't be Lord at all in your life, in your heart. If Jesus isn't Lord of all of my life, then he really won't be Lord at all. If I've got a bunch of drawers over here, that are filled with stuff that say, don't go there, don't open that drawer. He's really, I'm really not all in. And I'm not saying that to beat you down, to beat myself down, but I want to be all in. I want to know where to look when I leap. And in the story of Palm Sunday, in the story of what these disciples do, in the story of what Jesus sees and thinks, we can learn a lot. Would you please pray with me? Grace Heavenly Father, I just uh, thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the many ways you work in our lives, and I thank you for this account of just even them preparing to go into Jerusalem, your son go into Jerusalem, and how the uh, disciples responded, and how this all unfolds, and what he sees, and how he responds to what he sees. May we learn the lessons that you have for each one of us individually. You can't look at a passage like this and go away and say, God didn't say anything to me. This is rich with things to digest and see how we can lean in, being more all in, so that we know where to leap or where to look before we jump. We just ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.